Uh, I'd like to begin, we won't be here long, but begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of the Lord, testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. The Apostle Paul was probably the most educated of all the apostles. But he said, I didn't come to you in the wisdom of men. I didn't come to you in the excellency of men. I didn't come to you with man's wisdom. But I came preaching in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And he said, and I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I'm going to tell you it's in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ where I don't think there was ever a time when God's power was more clearly displayed and heaped out than on the cross of Calvary. For it's our trust and our hope in what Jesus did on that occasion that everything, every blessing, spiritual blessing that we have goes back to what the Lord did for us on that cross. You may say, Brother Mark, was not the Lord's power more clearly displayed when he created the universe? Certainly when the Lord created the universe, certainly it's a testimony to the great power and majesty and wonder of God. When he said, let there be light and light streamed across the universe. He created the moon and the stars and the mountains and the oceans and the valleys and the trees. What a testimony to God's power. Do you know in Psalms chapter 8, the psalmist would say, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which Thou hast ordained, what is man, that thou art mindful of him? The psalmist would say, when I consider the greatness of all thou hast created and of the moon and the stars that thou hast created, the psalmist just said, why would you even think about little old man, about little old man? 
but even in the greatness of the power and the might and the beauty of the Lord's creation as, as wonderful as it is. God called that finger work. He used a different part of the body when he talked about God's salvation of the people. In Isaiah chapter 63, the Lord would say, there was none to help. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. So in the saving of his people, he said it took more than the fingers of God. It took the arm of God. Now I'm going to tell you, we can display more strength with our arm than with our fingers. If we doubt that, take a 30-pound dumbbell and put it on the end of your fingers and try to lift it with just your fingers. It's a lot easier to lift that with the arm. Now I'm going to tell you, not only something far more than even the fingers of God were displayed when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but the very arm of the Lord was revealed. And it displayed the power of God in a wonderful a majestic, a glorious way. And all our hope here today in our Lord Jesus goes back to what he did on that cross. Every word that the Lord Jesus has ever spoken is extremely important. There's many words that he spoke that we don't know uh, John would write, if all the things that Jesus had said and done were to be written, even the, the world itself could not contain the books which should be written. But some are. I'd like to look the Lord being our helper at seven different things the Lord Jesus said when he was upon that cross. When he knew he was going to die on that cross for the sins of his people. You know, when even frail, sinful man, if we know we're fixing to die, I guarantee you the words we say at that moment will be words that are very dear to our heart. And we'll say things that need to be said from the very depths of our heart. The law even recognizes that. There's an assumption in the law that if a man knows that he's dying, that the last words he said are presumed to be absolute truth. Because men, even sinful men, just doesn't tend to die, lie when they die. The Lord Jesus Christ never said anything that wasn't totally and completely true. But I'll tell you, I believe the Bible records what the Lord Jesus would say on the cross should bring very special significance to us today. If you began to look at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, to get a full picture of it, you have to go really to all four gospel accounts. Matthew chapter 27 records the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Mark 
chapter 15, Luke chapter 23, and John chapter 19. They all record this event of all events. What Jesus did for us means we'll be with him in heaven one sweet day. The first of these sayings is found in Luke chapter 23 in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And before that verse is even over, it said, and they parted his raiment cast lots and the people stood beholding and the rulers with them derided him saying he saved others let him save himself if he be Christ the chosen of God and the soldiers also mocked him coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying if thou be the king of the Jews save thyself The Lord Jesus had already been whipped with that Roman whip that according to history contained bits of stone, metal, that would literally rip the back off of the person that was being whipped. He had been beaten. He had been mocked. He had been spit upon. He had been given a, a rod in his hand like a kingly scepter. Because they were saying, oh, you're a king? Let's pretend you're a king. We'll put a purple robe on you. We'll put a crown on you. But it was a crown of thorns that according to history had big times about three inches or so long and they crushed it on his head. They put that kingly scepter in his hand and blindfolded him and would take that scepter and hit him in the head say prophesy unto us who smote thee and they made fun of him they said you said you're the son of God you said you're the king of the Jews show us and come down you really don't have any power or you come down but I'll tell you the greatest display of power was what kept Jesus on the cross. Wouldn't have been powerful for him to come down. It was the power of God for him to stay there. You see, Jesus had made a promise before time ever began. And God gave him a people, his elect family, that we're so blessed to be a part of. And Jesus had promised, I love them and God the Father had loved him with an everlasting love. And that's why God sent his son Jesus to die on that cruel cross. Is because he loves us. And he's loved us before time ever began. And he's never, ever, ever going to quit loving us. That was the power of an everlasting love and grace and mercy that took Jesus to the cross. He saw the heinousness and the vileness and the hatred and the sinfulness of men that was heaped upon him. 
Isaiah chapter 52 would say he was marred more than any man. That is, of all the people that have been brutalized and tormented and persecuted throughout the history of the world, Jesus was done worse. That's a tremendous statement when you think about it. We hear about the cruel things that men have done to each other. Jesus was treated worse. But he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Later, where we were reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, about verse 8, it would say, Had the princes of the world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He said, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Forgiveness isn't easy. If somebody has personally wronged us, especially in a violent and a vicious way, forgiveness doesn't come easy. And I'm going to tell you, while those people were healing cruel insults against the Lord, the Lord Jesus at that very moment was dying for some of them. At the end of this, we'll see a centurion say, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The Lord had blessed him to see something. And I believe that centurion was one of those. He was in charge of the men that had been brutalizing him. He said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. What a testimony of forgiveness. That's probably the greatest display of forgiveness we have in all the scriptures of the Lord's forgiveness. What he was doing Forgiveness would be impossible for the Father to forgive without what Jesus was doing as he prayed that prayer. To wash all the sins of all the elect in his own precious blood. We go down before I move on. So, if Jesus could forgive And I forgive when someone does something to me that's far less than what they did to Jesus. Can we forgive an example to them? Stephen did it. So they were stoning him to death. He prayed for their forgiveness. The next thing is found later in this chapter. Verse 39 said, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, that is the other thief, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, that is the Lord Jesus. This man had done nothing amiss. 
And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The Bible is very plain that both thieves initially were mocking and railing on him. The Bible is very plain about that, that both of them were. It's found in Matthew chapter 27, uh, where both the thieves were reviling him. And it's also found in Mark chapter 15, where both of the thieves were reviling him. One place it uses the word they, which is plural. Another place it uses the plural of the term thieves. That means both thieves, plural, were at first railing on him. You would have thought that thieves that were in the on a similar cross would have had a little bit of compassion. But at first, neither one of them did. But then the Lord also on the cross shows a miraculous display of power. And one of these thieves is born again right there on that cross. And he goes from mocking the Lord and disdaining the Lord and making fun of the Lord to now he begins to defend the Lord. And he gets on to the other thief. You know, sometimes we just can't hear somebody disdain our Lord without saying something. Somebody disdains our Lord, we ought to say something. And this thief begins, he begins to to rebuke the other thief and says, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou in the same condemnation and we indeed justly. The Bible describes these thieves also as robbers. That meant they did more than just take something that wasn't theirs. They took it by force. They took it by violence. They were robbers. They had led a very violent life with many victims in their past. But in a moment, the Lord Jesus changed that thief's heart on the cross and he went from making fun of God, he went from not fearing God to now he does fear God and can't understand why the other thief doesn't. He said, does not thou fear God? Seeing thou in the same condemnation and we indeed justly. He said, we deserve to be here. We deserve to be on this cross dying. I'm going to tell you, Roman crucifixion was a horrible death. And I've encountered many uh, offenders in my day, some of whom would say we deserve to go to prison for what we've done. But I've never personally dealt with one that told me I deserve to die for what I've done. But this thief begins to see a great sense of his own sin. And that's one of the first things that happens to us in regeneration is we see the blackness and the darkness and the condemnation of our own sin. And he sees himself, he said, I deserve to be on this cross. He begins to fear God. He begins to see the heinousness of his own sin. And he begins to see the holiness of the one on the cross next to him. He said, this man, Jesus, had done nothing amiss. This man's righteous. This man's holy. 
He was able to see all these things, not because man had taught him anything. There was nobody preaching the gospel at the scene of the cross, but because God had changed his heart and God had revealed some stuff to him in his heart by the Spirit. He says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. He sees Jesus as Lord. He said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He sees Jesus as Lord. He sees Jesus as having a kingdom, which means he sees Jesus as king. Think about this. He had gone from, from making fun of the Son of God to in a moment. He defends the Lord. He fears the Lord. He sees his own unrighteousness and own unholiness. And he begins, he sees the Lord as holy. And he sees the Lord as King and Lord. That's a powerful display of the power of God upon the cross. All the things that the works view of salvation says you must do in order to go to heaven. This thief wasn't able to do any of them. He had never heard the gospel had preached by man. He would never have the opportunity to join a church. He would never have the opportunity to be baptized in his name. For his hands were nailed. But see the Lord by his free grace... <laughs> Even while that thief had been mocking him, he was dying for that thief. He born him again and he gave him life. You see, the none of us would have been able to have been born again without the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. You may say, Brother Mark, wasn't all those Old Testament saints born again? Yes. But it was because God the Father had confidence that the Lord Jesus would keep his promise and that he would come and suffer and bleed and die. So they were born again because God had confidence in what Jesus would do. But had Jesus not died on the cross, none of us could have been taken from a death in sins into a life in Christ. So as Jesus was dying on the cross, he was giving life. Remember what he said at the tomb of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. And the Lord Jesus here on this cross would give life. He would change this dead alien sinner's heart that had just been rebuking him and making fun of him. And he would give him life. He put a sweet, inarticulable knowledge of the Lord in his heart. And this thief would seem his Lord and King, having a kingdom. He say, Lord, remember me. Lord, don't forget about me. And he gave the heart cry of a little child of God that I think we all have even today. Lord, remember me. Lord, don't forget about me. Cornelius had that heart cry and God told him through an angel, thy prayers and thine alms are come up as a memorial before God. I remember you, Cornelius. I love you. And the Lord reminds us all the time that he remembers us and that he loves us. He reminds this thief and says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, the work of redemption was going to be complete as Jesus died on the cross. 
And he said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. That word paradise is simply another word for heaven and immortal glory. Today, thief, you're going to be with me in heaven. What a blessing. And in that, we see a picture of ourselves as great sinners. That Jesus will one day be in heaven with our King Jesus and what a blessing it is. We come to another saying of the Lord Jesus on the cross. We go to John chapter 19. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, and this is verse 25. We, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Can you imagine what Mary, the mother of Jesus, was feeling on this occasion? Seeing her son in the tremendous agony that he was in, seeing the hatred and the violence against her son. And she's standing by the cross. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that is John, he loved all of them, but that's kind of the title for John. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. So John, here's your mother. Mary, here's your son. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. You know, Jesus was one that was always thinking about others and not himself. He showed that throughout all his ministry. There were times he didn't eat. There was times he would spend all night in prayer, but he was always thinking of others. He was thinking of others as he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now he's thinking about his mother. After all he's enduring, he didn't forget about his mother. The Bible says, Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. And the Lord honored his mother even in his death. He wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And he knew John would do it. He loved his mother. He thought about his mother. What an example for us today. To love our parents to his desire to take care of their needs. We go to Matthew chapter 27 to the what I believe is the fourth saying of the Lord from the cross. That verse 44, I'll begin there just to reiterate that both thieves were reviling the Lord. It's just a couple of verses ahead of where we are. It says, the thieves also who were crucified with him cast the same 
in his teeth, meaning the same insults that others were. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is a quotation from Psalms 22 where the psalmist King David would prophesy some almost a thousand years before the Lord Jesus would ever, would ever suffer and die upon this cross of Calvary. It was prophesied a thousand years before the exact words of what Jesus would say. My God. My God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken by the Father because he had all my sins upon him. He had all your sins upon him. He had all the elect family of God's sin upon him on the cross. And he bore the full punishment. He was forsaken by the Father. For those moments, the word forsaken means to be abandoned. We're told in the Bible, can a woman forget her sucking child? Yeah, they may forget. But I'll never forget that. You know why that is true? That we could never be abandoned we could never be forsaken by the Lord because his son was. And because he was forsaken with my sins upon him and your sins upon him and he suffered the complete punishment for all of our sins because he was forsaken, little child of God. We will never be. The Lord will never forget us. We'll never be forsaken. We'll never be abandoned. While the Lord was heaping that full punishment of the wrath of God upon him, he was forsaken by the Father. Notice he had said at that first statement on the cross, Father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Now he says, my God, my God. In that time of forsaking, he wasn't able to Utter the word Father. Said, My God. My God. We go back to John chapter 19. After this, this is verse 28, shortly where we, after where we were a while ago. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So fulfillment of a prophecy again in Psalms chapter 22, written hundreds and hundreds of years, about a thousand years, a little less before this would ever happen. And certainly I believe the Lord Jesus was physically thirsty. But I think this verse means more than that. He thirsted for the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. Remember in the garden where Peter took off the sword and chopped off the Malchus's the ear to serve on the high priest with it? And the Lord would tell Peter, the cup which my father hath given me to drink, shall I not drink it. He thirsted for the cup of the wrath of Almighty God, for the penalty and the punishment of all the sins that all the elect family of God has ever committed or will commit. Now you think of the shame of that. You think of the heinousness of all the sins just in our own life and the heinousness of all the sins of all the elect family of God. Think about how ashamed we would be if our congregation here at Providence knew every single sin we'd ever committed. Things that nobody else knows about. Things that we may not have, uh, words that we may not have even said, but evil and wicked thoughts that we thought. How ashamed we would be. And the Lord took that full punishment, the equivalent of an eternity in a burning, fiery hell for all the elect family of God. He suffered the equivalent punishment of that concentrated in six hours upon the cross. He thirsted for that cup. Why? So we wouldn't have to drink. He suffered the wrath of Almighty God. He was forsaken by the Father so we wouldn't have to be punished. So we wouldn't have to drink the cup of our own sins. He took the cup that I should have had to drink. Because he loves us so much. And think about how difficult it was for the father here. The father sinning because he loves us so much. But he loved his son. His only begotten son. But he loved us so much. He sent him to the cross. To bear all of our sins in his body. On the tree. So we would never be punished. in a place of burning fiery hell. But instead, we'd be taken to heaven. The Lord Jesus said, I thirst, I thirst for that cup of the wrath of Almighty God. I thirst to take the punishment so they can be with me in heaven like the thieves fixed to be. What a glorious Lord we serve. Does that not bring an exclamation point to the power of God 
here on the cross of Calvary. A power to give life to every one of God's little children, not only in the new birth, but it'll take us all the way to heaven and the more to glory. Men thinks the greatest power is the power to take life. But I'm going to tell you the greatest power is the power to give life. And the Lord gave us life by dying on the cross for our sins. Then we come to the sixth statement on the cross. Right after he said, I thirst, he said when Jesus, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with the vinegar. And put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When he had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He said, It is finished. What I promised to do before the foundation of the world, because I love all of God's little children, what I promised to do, I finished it. I've done it. I've died upon the cross of Calvary. And every single sin of every single one of the elect family of God has been purged. It's been separated from them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. It's finished. And every single one of God's little children will be in heaven and immortal glory without the loss of one. It's finished. He didn't say it's almost done, but you just got to do a little more. He said it is finished. He finished the work of redemption. He finished the sacrifice for our sins. He finished the redemption of his people. It's finished. What the angel had told Joseph he would do. He finished it right now. He said, fear not to take unto thee. The angel told Joseph, fear not to take unto thee, Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth the Son. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And he finished it right here. Totally and completely, never, ever to be undone. It's finished. And that's why we're preserved in Christ. That's why we don't have to worry about having eternal life one day and the next day it's gone because he finished the work and he did it alone. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, well, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He purged every single sin of every one of the elect family of God, and he did it alone. I'm going to tell you, on the cross of Calvary with Jesus, that was the loneliest place it's ever been. He was alone. He fought the battle alone. So we'd never have to be. He was forsaken. We would never be forsaken. The very last words of the Lord Jesus 
very seventh saying of the cross is Father into thy hands I commend my spirit. Notice he calls him Father again. Father into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Bible has said he's bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And the Lord Jesus who had finished the work of redemption, the sin was gone. And he once again, not in a forsaken state, but because the work was finished and every single sin was purged, every single sin was gone, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Where commend has the idea of commit. Where did the Lord Jesus' spirit go when he died? It went to heaven. His body would go in that tomb for three days and for three nights. But Jesus, as he promised, he had told his disciples some three times in the book of Matthew, he said, I'm going to be crucified. But he said, on the third day, I will, I will, I will rise again. And he rose on that third day in power and in great glory. And because he lives, we know we shall live also. The Lord Jesus, in between those times, before he rose from the dead, his spirit had gone to the same place our spirit will go when we breathe our last breath, immediately in the throne room of heaven and the Lord of glory. To be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. And what a blessing to know that because of what Jesus did, if we breathe our last breath, our souls and spirits will immediately be in his presence, just like that thief's was. What a blessing that is. I want to close with a couple of verses. Uh, Hebrews 2, and, and where Hebrews 2 is quoted from Hebrews 2 Pick up in verse 12. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. We have a sweet promise that the Lord Jesus declares the name of his Father unto us, and he calls us brethren. And he, in the midst of the church, he sings praises. Means I'll be with you there. And I'll sing with you there. And he said, and again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. 
He said, I'll say, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. That's a quotation from Isaiah 8, chapter 8 and verse 8. I want to go there. We bring our remarks to a close. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 8. Excuse me, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18, should have said. It says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And I believe this is a picture of when God comes again the second time without sin unto salvation when he comes with the voice of the archangel. He comes with the trump of God. And he comes with all the spirits of all the saints of God that are already with him in heaven. And he comes back to this earth. And we're caught up to meet him in the clouds. And he's going to take us all home to be with him in heaven and immortal glory. And all the family of God without the loss of one, every single person, we're going to all be together with King Jesus and he's going to take us back into heaven. And it's going to be a glorious entry into heaven. We're going to be possessed by the king who is leading us, the triumphant, victorious king who was victorious on the cross of Calvary who finished the work which the Father gave him to do, who reigned victorious over sin, Satan, hell and death, and we come with him in that triumphal victory march into heaven. And then he looks to the Father. He said, Behold, I am the children. Even Isaiah said, Which the Lord hath given me. Hebrews 2 quotes it, Which God hath given me. You may say, Brother Mark, if that's when that's happening, why didn't he say who thou has given me if he's talking to the Father? Because he's identifying himself as our brother. He's identifying himself with us as the family of God. He said, Behold, I and the children God have given me. He said, Lord, God Almighty, you gave me all these before the foundation of the world. You gave them to me in the covenant of grace. And Lord, I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And here they all are. It says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders. Signs and wonders are miraculous glorious deeds. And I'm going to tell you, there's never been a more greater miracle than the Lord dying for us on the cross. And what we are as a result of that. You see, the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was not healing the physically blind and giving them physical sight. The greatest miracle was not him healing a physical leper to cleanness. 
The greatest miracle was not him making the physically lame to walk or even the, the physically dead to physically alive. The greatest miracle he ever did was they took a people in blackness and darkness and depravity. A people dead in trespasses and sins. A people under the power of darkness. But he translated us. He saved us. He took us from death and trespasses and sins into a spiritual life far greater than just our natural life. A spiritual life in Christ. And he made us righteous. And he made us holy. And he made us fit for heaven and a mortal glory. And when we show, when he brings us back in that day, these bodies don't be perfect. Are y'all ready for a perfect body? They'll be perfect in that day. Like in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm a wonder. I'm a miracle. I'm a sign. But he said, so are these, the children of God. Because of what I've done, we are miracles. Miracles of grace. And he'll remind everybody of that. And I'll just read it as we close. Behold, I, whom the Lord hath given me, are for signs and wonders in Israel for the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. What a day that will be. God bless you, my friend.